Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. So, if you're there in the book of Romans, uh, before we begin, I want to give you just a quick uh, rundown on the book of Romans. Obviously, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. We see that in verse 1. And uh, to understand a letter, obviously, it's kind of difficult to just jump right into the middle of a letter, right? When we read letters uh, that other people send us, we don't just start in the middle. And so a little bit of context for the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul around 57 AD. Um, Rome at the time, if you know in kind of your historical context, Rome was a massive city in the ancient world. It, It was the biggest around. And the church in Rome, which though wasn't founded by Paul, had quite a few different believers of different backgrounds. Uh, We know that there was likely a lot of Gentile Christians and a lot of Jewish Christians. And when the church, uh, early on, in 49 AD, Roman Emperor Claudius actually expelled the Jews out of the area. And it wasn't until five years later, after Claudius died, that the Jews were able to come back. And when the Jewish people came back, there was quite a bit of divisiveness Uh, in this church and a lot of it was uh, obviously the Jewish people uh, they had their own practices right Uh, a lot of Jewish law a lot lot of customs right and it kind of wasn't working well with the Gentile Christians who were also growing in that church and so Paul is basically writing this letter to basically give a brief or massive overview of the gospel and Jesus Christ and what he came to do Right, because some of the Jewish people, they obviously you think of the Jewish custom is to try to gain closer to God by going through the works of the law, right? But now Paul is saying here, right, you're saved by faith now. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's not through your works, right? And so there's a lot of divisiveness there. And so as we pick up in Romans chapter 10, we see Paul talking to the Jewish believer, and if you're there in verse one, he says, "Brothers." My heart's desire and prayer for God is for them, the people who aren't saved, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one is... With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. But the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if you go down to verse 17, it says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the reading of the word today. 
if you picked up on the theme today, we're going to be focusing on the thought of being people who live sent. I love what Paul has to write about in the book of Romans because clearly Paul has a burden for those who are lost. And he gives kind of a two-parter here. He explains his heart and his burden for those who don't know Christ and then a challenge for the believers to go and live sent. Let's go back and walk through this passage piece by piece because I think that this is something so urgent for us as the church today to understand and for us as a church today to grasp and learn from because how quickly do we lose sight of our true mission as Christians. Let's go start in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them is that they might be saved. If we see early on in chapter 8, Paul finishes chapter 8 by saying uh, all the amazing things of God, right? That, that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus, no height nor depth. He gives a lot of encouragement. If you breeze through chapter 9, we see God's sovereignty, right? God had promised Israel a Savior, a Messiah, and he did send him. Jesus came, he lived on this earth, he walked, and he, he, he died for humanity, for God's chosen people. And we see God's sovereignty that he saves whom he wants to save, which I'm sure for the Jewish believer was probably like, uh, what? <laughs> right? Because a lot of the Jewish law and custom was to follow the law as well as you could, right? To gain access to God is by your works. And Paul says, no, that's not the case anymore. Jesus laid down his life, and when we believe on him, we are now saved. Now, that isn't just access to the Jew, but now to the Gentile as well. You can only imagine. And for some of the Jewish people in the church in Rome, that was kind of a difficult thing to grasp. How could the Gentile get saved, right? I thought we were God's chosen people. And so Paul's explaining here, he hopes that they can see it's through Christ now, not just through the works. I think sometimes when we see Paul's heart here, he says, my heart's desire and prayer for God is for them to be saved. I think about us as a church today, and we think about the lost world around us. I'm sure many of us know many people who do not know Jesus. Man, we wish they did know. We are burdened. But sometimes I feel like we lose sight of what God has truly told us to do, to go and tell them. I love... Uh, said uh, that C.S. Lewis, a famous uh, writer uh, in the last century, who uh, wrote about having a list of people, a list A and list B, one list being people he wished he would see come to Christ, and a list B of people who did come to Christ. And it said it gave him much encouragement to see the crossover from that list. I think a lot about us today. There's some people in our lives that we know that we want to see them come to Jesus, but yet it just seems so difficult, right? Because they oftentimes, we, we see a lost family member, it burdens our heart. But sometimes we get so caught up in our own faith that we forget about that. On the opportunities that we see with people, we don't truly tell them the gospel, and I, I find that to be so difficult for me to understand why I even myself do that. <laughs> These people need to know the gospel, and in this context, if we look down in verse 2, God, Paul continues on. He says, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. He's talking about the Jewish people, right? They have a great zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit 
to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the raw of righteousness for everyone who believes. I truly believe that some people, they know, they want to know who God is and they fill their head up with knowledge, but yet it never truly connects to their heart. I think that's for a lot of us today in the Christian church. We want to fill our heads with knowledge, but yet we have no change in our heart. We don't truly allow it to work in us. And I'm sure this is exactly what Paul was talking about to the Jewish believer. They had a zeal for God. They, they did all these great works, right? We know the, the Pharisees, right? They prayed in the streets. They, they did all these great things to try to get closer to God. But all, ultimately, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, having zeal without true knowledge and letting it change us, that can be a dangerous thing. There's a story of a football player by the name of Jim Wrongway Marshall. Imagine having that name. Who in 1964 recovered a fumble and ran 64 yards for a touchdown in the wrong end zone. <laughs> See, oftentimes I think sometimes that can be like us as a church today. We have a lot of excitement and zeal and we want to fill our heads with knowledge, but we don't let it truly change us from the inside. And we're doing things for the wrong purpose. Paul continues in verse 5, he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith. It says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is, bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. In these passages, we see Paul is saying, yes, it may be admirable for you to have great zeal and confidence in what God has done for you. But ultimately, we must recognize that Christ is the source of our confidence. It's not of anything that we have done. And who else to remind the Jews of this than Paul himself, right? It says in Philippians 3, 4, Paul's writing, he says, though I, say, I, though I myself had reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day and a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had a lot of great things, right? He knew the law well. But look what he says in verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I think this is so applicable to us as Christians today. Though we claim to be saved by faith, we still boast so much in what we can do. We don't always mean to do that, but we don't give God or Christ the glory that he deserves. We naturally just let the sin of pride creep in before we know we start to boast in ourselves and not in Christ. We are so boastful in all of our accomplishments, yet we don't give any credit to the God who laid that path before us. See how Paul had all these great accolades, all these achievements, yet in verse 8 he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It's garbage. It doesn't matter anymore what I can do with. But rather I, I gain Christ. I want you to see Paul's heart in this letter to the Romans. As we see through multiple of his letters, we see multiple times that he's willing to lay down all of his pride, his possessions, literally lay down his life 
for the sake of Christ. I love what he tells the church in Philippi later on in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For us as a church today, if we want to achieve any sort of idea of missions or going and living sent, we have to start by looking inward. Oftentimes we fill our head with knowledge, but yet we don't truly want to go and be the church. I think sometimes in the modern day American church, we get really complacent with where we are. We come in on a Sunday morning, we're encouraged by the preaching, we sit in our pews, our for many of you, I, I don't see very many people change their seats often. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't either. I sit right there. That's my spot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but oftentimes we get so complacent in our churches. We get so comfortable with coming in on a Sunday morning and filling our heads up with knowledge, but leaving unchanged, unfathomed by the gospel that we just heard in the event that we just had a chance to take place in. When we sing songs, we're not just singing to each other, we're joining in heaven's song. What an amazing thing that is. When we open the word of God, this is the holy word of God, our creator speaking to us. But yet when we leave this place, we have no desire to want to tell others about it. I think for many in the American church. The goal of coming to church is to just feel good, to listen to a glorified TED Talk, maybe, to listen to the rock and roll uh, praise team. But yet somehow Christ gets kind of put at the bottom of the chain. You really got to dig to find it. It's not what the church should be. Sure, it's great that we get to come together, right? That's the whole point of meeting together to encourage one another, right? That's awesome. But it's, what's truly the reason why we come to church on Sunday mornings? The Ephesians 4 model says that we must, the reason why God gave preachers and teachers is so they can equip the saints for ministry and to be sent out and to share it with the world. But I ask you today, church, is that what we're actually doing? We as a church must recognize our true calling as Christians to go and share the world, word with the world around us. Earlier this month, Pastor Isaac mentioned that one of our primary focuses this year will be missions. I find that many times we as the American churchgoers wince at the thought of being sent. It's just not something that we think about often. We think, oh, well, somebody else will do that, surely. We're so comfortable in our pews and we say things like, sure, maybe I can serve a little bit here and there, but the thought of being sent to distant lands is unfathomable in our minds. Now, sure, I understand that some of us do have uh, legitimate restraints that prevent us from going. Maybe it's age or we're tied down to something here. But I think about, in general, do we as a church live sent even to our neighbor, to those around us who don't know the gospel, how many of us are so comfortable today coming to church and to hear the word preached, to soak it all in, but yet are so unwilling to go and pour it back out to others? I think it's so interesting. And let me tell you, I'm preaching to the choir here, okay? 
It's so interesting that we are so unwilling to open our mouths and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. We might think to ourselves, well, surely somebody will tell them the gospel. Surely this person across the street who doesn't know Jesus, surely somebody will share it. But I don't know if it'll be me. Maybe we don't say that with our mouths, but we definitely act that out. What happens if we don't say it? Well, Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 14, something very interesting. How then are, will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone's preaching, without someone's preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful to defeat those who preach the good news. Knowing what Christ has done for us on the cross should give us a zeal to want to share that news with others. And ultimately, with the power of the Spirit, we should have confidence in knowing that when we go and tell people about Jesus, that the Spirit will lead and guide our conversations. Some of us might think, well, I can't share the gospel. I don't know how to say these words. I'm, not, I'm no preacher. If Christ has saved you, you have something to tell them about. You have good news. How could you not proclaim that to the world? How could that not be your every breath? How are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard? Christian, we must realize and recognize that Christ paid too high of a price for us to remain quiet about our faith. More than this, we must recognize that it is not our jobs as Christians to sit around and just wait for something to happen. Sure, we could sit and hope that somebody will come to Christ that we know. But why are we not the ones to go and tell them in the first place? They won't know unless they hear. They won't know unless we tell them. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's what Paul says. Well, what about Christ? What did he have to say about this? Well, he gave us a pretty great commandment at the end of Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice what this passage said when Jesus said these things. Look what he says first. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What we recognize by this is this is not a suggestion of what we should be doing, but rather what we must be doing. This is a command, not a suggestion. His first command is go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. We, as a church, must see what Christ has told us to do. Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're like, well, I don't know what my job as a Christian is. Well, it's not much, but God has given you a command here. Jesus Christ himself says to go and make disciples. Maybe you're sitting there like, what's my, what's my purpose here on this earth? To glorify God by telling others about what his son did for them. It's so simple. 
We might think to ourselves, well, I can't tell people about Jesus. I just don't have what it takes. And you're so right, you don't. But that's the reason why you have the helper of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide your conversations. The reality is that we must not be people who are content with just being a butt in a seat on a Sunday morning or a person who lets others fill their cup yet are not willing to pour it back out to someone else. Rather, we are people who must be lived, who must have the goal of living sent. People who are willing to lay down their all for the sake of making Christ known to all nations, tribes, and tongues. And that could be overseas, or that could be right here in Bethany, Missouri, or wherever you live, your next door neighbor, to go and make disciples. How can they know unless they are told? Love how verse 15 said, and Shelley already talked about it earlier, but how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Know that God will bless you. He will bless you when you go and you make his name known. When you make Christ known, God will be with you. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, church, I challenge you today. Jesus paid too large of a price for you to sit around expect others to put in the work. We have all been given a call. We are responsible for spreading the good news to others, whether that be across the street or across the world. Now, I understand the thought of missions or doing anything of spreading the gospel is scary, but I think one of the most encouraging stories that I could share with you is about a man by the name of Adoram Judson. And maybe some of you have heard of Adoram. He was a missionary to Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar, and uh, this is in the early 1800s. And the story of Adoram is so encouraging. And I recommend, if you haven't heard the story in its entirety, go pick up a book on him. He's a fascinating man who really lived a life of wanting to make Christ known no matter what the cost. And I, I want to share with you that story today just briefly if I can. And um, I think it's put so well by John Piper uh, he wrote a biography about him, and I'd like to just share that with you, if I can. He says, the story of Adoram Judson's losses is almost overwhelming. Just when you think the last one was the worst and he could endure no more, another comes. In fact, it would be overwhelming if we could not see it all from God's long historical view. The seed that had died a thousand times has given life in Myanmar, formerly Burma, to an extraordinary movement to Christ. When Adoram Judson enter, entered Burma in July of 1813, it was a hostile and utterly unreached place. William Carey, another missionary, had told Judson in India a few months earlier not to go there. Today, it would probably have been considered a closed country. With anarchic despotism, fierce war with Siam, enemy raids, constant rebellion, and no religious toleration, all the previous missionaries had either died or left. But Judson went there with his 23-year-old wife, 17 months. He was 24 years old, and he worked there until 38, until his death at 61, with one trip home to England after 33 years. The price he had paid was immense. He was a seed that fell into the ground and died again and again. In Burma, there became a lifelong battle in 108-degree heat with cholera, malaria, dysentery, and unknown miseries that would not only take Anne, but a second wife, seven of his 13 children, and colleague after colleague in death. 
Though all the struggles with sickness and interruptions, Judson labored to learn the language, to translate the Bible, and do evangelism on the streets. Six years after he and Anne arrived, they baptized their first convert, Mang Nun. The sowing was long and hard, and the reaping was even harder but for years. But in 1831, 19 years after the arrival, there was a new spirit in the land. In 1823, Adoram and Anne moved from Rangoon to Ava, the capital, about 300 miles inland and further up the Aradu River. It was risky to be that near to the despot emperor. In May of the next year, a British fleet arrived in Rangoon and bombarded the harbor. All Westerners were immediately viewed as spies, and Adoram was dragged from his home. On June 8, 1824, he was put in prison. His feet were fettered, and at night, a long horizontal bamboo pole was lowered and passed between his fettered legs and hoisted up until only his shoulders and head of the prisoners rested on the ground. Anne was pregnant, but she walked two miles daily to the palace to plead that Judson was not a spy and that they should have mercy. On November 4, 1825, Judson was suddenly released. The government needed him as a translator in negotiations with Britain. A long ordeal was over. Seventeen months in prison on the brink of death with his wife sacrificing herself and her baby to care for him as she could. Anne's health was broken. Eleven months later, on October 24, 1826, she died. And six months after that, their daughter died as well. The psychological effects of these losses were devastating to Adoram. Self-doubt overtook his mind, and he wondered if he had become a missionary for ambition and fame and not humility and self-denying love. He began to read Catholic mystics who eventually led him into solitary asceticism and various forms of other self-mortification. He dropped his Old Testament translation work, the love of his life, and retreated more and more from people and from anything that might conceivably support pride or promote his pleasure. He had a grave dug beside his hut and sat beside it, contemplating the stages of the body's solution. He retreated for 40 days alone into the tiger-infested jungles and wrote one letter that he felt utter spiritual desolation. He said, God, to me, is a great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. His brother, Elnathan, died in May 8, 1829, at the age of 35. Paradoxically, this proved to be the turning point of Judson's recovery because he believed that the reason that his brother had been left in unbelief 17 years earlier had died in faith. All throughout the year of 1830, Adoram was climbing out of his darkness. Central to Judson's missionary labors from the beginning, and especially at his juncture in his life, was a translation of the Bible. In the years of his spiritual recovery without a wife and children, he confined himself to a small room built for the purpose of being able to devote almost all of his energy to refining the New Testament translation and pressing on with the Old Testament. At the end of 1832, 3,000 copies of the compiled completed New Testament were printed. He finished the Old Testament on January 31st, 1834. With the first draft of the Bible and Burmese completed, it seems as though God smiled on these labors with the favor of a new wife. Three years earlier, another missionary in Burma named George Boardman had died. His widow, Sarah, stayed in Burma and became a legend in her own right, pressing into the interior with her new baby, George. In February of 1834, Judson received a letter from Sarah on April 1st, he left for Tavoy, resolved to court her, and on April 10th, they were married. April 1st to April 10th, that's a, quite the turnaround. 
there were some of his happiest times in his Burma with, but without, but not without pain, and not to last much more than a decade. After bearing eight children in 11 years, Sarah became so ill that the family decided to travel to America in the hopes that the sea air would work healing. Judson had not been to America for 33 years and was returning only for the sake of his wife. As they rounded the tip of Africa in September 1845, Sarah died, and the ship dropped anchor at St. Helen Island long enough to dig a grave to bury a wife and mother and sail on. This time, Adarime did not descend into the depths of depression as before. He had his children, but even more, his sufferings had disengaged him from hoping for so much in this world. He was learning how to hate his life in this world without bitterness or depression, and now he had one passion, to return and give his life for Burma. Judson's stay in the States did not go according to plan. To everyone's amazement, he fell in love a third time, this time with a woman by the name of Emily Chubbuck, and married her on June 2nd, 1846. She was 29, and he was 57. She was a famous writer and felt her fame and, le and left her fame and writing career to go with Judson to Burma. They arrived in November of 1846, and God gave them four of the happiest years that either of them had ever known. Adarime and Emily had one child. Things looked bright, but the old sickness attacked Adarime one last time. The only hope was to send the desperately ill Judson on a voyage. On April 3, 1850, they carried Adarime into the Aristotle Marie bound for the Isle of France with one friend, Thomas Rainey, to care for him. In his misery, he would roused from time to time by parable pain, ending in vomiting, and one of his last sentences were, how few there are who die so hard. On 4.15 on Friday afternoon, April 12, 1850, Adirine Judson died at sea, away from his family and the Burmese church. That evening, the ship hove to. The crew assembled quietly. The labored port was open, and there were no prayers. The captain gave the order, and the coffin slid through the port into the night. Ten days later, Emily gave birth to her second child, who died at birth. She learned four months later that her husband was dead, and she returned to New England the next January and died of tuberculosis three years later at the age of 37. Judson's life was a grain of wheat that fell into the soil of Myanmar and died again and again. The suffering was immense, and there so was the fruit. At the turn from the second to third millennium, Patrick Johnstone estimated the Myanmar, Burma's new name, Baptist Convention, to be 3,700 congregations with 617,781 members and 1,900,000 affiliates, the fruit of this dead sea. There's a quote from Adirond Judson that really sticks out and I think brings together this whole story. He says, in spite of sorrows, loss, and pain, our course be onward still, we sow on Burma's barren plain, and we reap on Zion's hill. What an amazing story of the faithfulness to want to see the gospel spread to all nations, tribes, and tongues. Adarine's story is one of his great hardships, yet persistence in difficult times and still faith that goes beyond understanding. I think it's so silly that we often neglect the call that God has commanded in our lives in order to pursue comfort and self-gratification. It just amazes me that even today people are overseas in these countries that Christianity is outlawed 
travel miles in horrible weather, willing to be imprisoned or killed just to get their hands on God's word or even to hear it preached. It really convicts me because sometimes we get too comfortable in bed on Sunday mornings and don't want to get out. <laughs> How easily do we take our ability to practice our faith for granted? May we see the burdened heart of Paul and even Adoram Judson's story to feel the same level of urgency and heartache for the lost. See, it's estimated today in the world that there's 2.8 billion people who have no, little to no access to the gospel. Many of these lost people live in what is known as the 1040 window, a rectangular area of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, and it gets its name from being 10 degrees north and 4 degrees uh, north of the latitude. It's estimated that 69.7% of these people groups are considered unreached and have a population of 3.26 billion. This means that 62% of the individuals in the 1040 window live in an unreached people group. To fulfill the law of Christ, we must recognize that many of these people will live their lives never fully knowing of the God who loved them and gave himself to die for them. We must be a church that is fully devoted to be praying for people groups like this, praying to send people out to spread this good news to, to these people and fulfill the call that he has put on our lives. If we're unable to go ourselves, we should support these missionaries who are making these trips overseas and putting themselves in danger for the sake of making Christ known. Ultimately, that's why we as a church want to focus on missions this year. How are they to know unless they are told? We must be a church who lives sent. We must be a church who is burdened for the loss and willing to be bold and open our mouths to proclaim the good news. If we, even if we are not going overseas, let us go to our neighbor and tell them the good news. To finish today, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, but Trent, what is the good news? Well, I'm glad you asked. You notice how I skipped a really big part of scripture here? Verses uh, 9 through 13. If we go back to that, if you don't know Christ today, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, let me finish but this encouragement. How do we get to know Jesus as our Savior? Well, here's what Paul says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What an encouragement. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, if you are challenged with that thought, if you don't know Christ as Savior, may I remind you that it's nothing that you can do. Jesus Christ, when he came to this world, he is God in the flesh, right? The word came and lived among us living word of God. How amazing is that? And because of what Jesus did, he came and lived a perfect, sinless life for you and for me, and he went to a cross, and he died for your sin. He died for my sin. And just recognize that today, it's as simple as saying, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he is who he says he is. And because of that, we can have eternal life with him when we believe in the Son, 
we repent of our sin, we repent of the things that keep us from God. And when we do that, we give our lives to Christ. He becomes Lord over our lives. It's an amazing thing. Maybe if that's you today, you don't know those things. Come talk to myself or Pastor Isaac. He's got his hands full with Judah right now, but I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. We love you so much. But church, today, when we give our lives to Christ, we must realize that as a call to go live sent. God's put it on your heart to go overseas as a missionary. Wow, what an amazing call that would be. But for every single one of you in today, there's no reason why you can't go and tell the gospel to those around you. May you be challenged with that today. Let's pray, church. Father, we are so honored that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a perfect, sinless life, to be put on a cross, to die on our behalf, to become our advocate between you and us. God, we cannot reach you with our sinful ways, God, and our sinful nature, God. We are alienated from God because of that. We are alienated from you. But God, because of the great love that you have loved us with, God, you have given us adoption through Jesus Christ as sons and daughters. God, that should encourage us so much. Lord, I just pray that we are able to take heed to what your word says to go and make disciples of all nations. God, how will they know unless they are told? And how are they to know unless they hear someone preaching? Father, allow us to have the boldness and confidence to go out into this world and to live sent and to go tell people, to open our mouths and tell people the good news of the gospel. Lord, we're so grateful for this time that we've had together. Lord, I just pray that you continue to work in our hearts as we go into this time of prayer and this time of singing, God. Let us truly have our hearts inclined to you and what you have for us and what you are telling us, God. We are so grateful for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I like to think of the last song that we sing. As a Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 